Um, my name is Nate Egger. Um, I'm one of the elders here at MacAF. Um, and I have the privilege of talking about this passage with you. Before we do that, though, let's pray one more time. Lord God, you are good. Lord, and, uh, I am not good enough to explain your word. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would work in spite of that. Um, Lord, that you would use this time to grow us as a people, um, grow us in you, and yeah, bring, bring unity to your body. Amen. All right, so I'm going to do something I'm not entirely comfortable with and not use my notes today. Um, <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to try it out. Hopefully it works out. If it doesn't work out, we'll just put the notes online and you can read it later. <laughs> um, if you can bring up the passage, James. Or actually, we don't start with the passage, do we? Um, <clears throat> so if you have an ESV Bible, this passage is titled One in Christ. Um, a little context for where we are in Ephesians and where we're heading. Um, so Ephesians was written by Paul to a mixed group of people, mostly Gentiles, but also some Jews in the, ta- or the city of Ephesus, um, which was in modern-day Turkey, I believe. Um, it was a center of trade. Um, and as he gets into the book, the first chapter is concentrated on just reminding the people of the treasure that they have in Christ. Um, the language there is very effusive. It's, you know, overflowing. Um, Paul elsewhere talks about kind of like our, our present day circumstances are not worth comparing with the weight of glory. Um, and I think that's what he's trying to get across in the first chapter. Um, in chapter two, um, the beginning of chapter two, we went through in the past two sermons. Um, he focuses on where we were as individuals in relation to Christ. And uh, last week, Leon preached on, but God. But, but, what, but God entered into that situation. He pulled us out while we were still dead and made us alive in Christ. Um, and today, we're talking more, uh, we're talking about the same kind of themes, but on a different level, on a, a corporate level, on a, a people group level. Um, chapter 3, um, Paul begins to talk about his mission to the Gentiles. He offers a prayer for spiritual strength for the Ephesians. Um, he goes on from there to kind of talk more about what the, how you achieve the kind of unity and how you achieve the kind of relationship with, with Christ that he's talking about in chapter 2. Um, and he talks about different... Can we go to the next slide, James? Um, he's talking about different giftings within the body and how that works together um, to create a unified body of Christ that is able to withstand the, um, the changing scene of the world around it. He then begins to talk about this idea of putting off the old self and putting on this new self. Um, and that's, he does that in specific relationships, wife, husband, child, parent, bond, servant, master. And he closes with this idea of putting on the armor of God. Um, but all of those chapters are in the context of what we're talking about right now. Like this, that is how you achieve a lot of the unity things that we're going to talk about today. Um, so if you're looking for application, which I'll hopefully provide at the end, um, 
a lot of it's going to be more fleshed out in later chapters. Um, so my applications are by no means complete. Um, can we go to the, the first part of the book, or first part of the text? Um, so Paul says, therefore remember that at one time you, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants, the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. One thing I want to highlight to you about this is the word remember. Um, he says it twice in verse 11 and then again in 12. Um, and the first few times I read this passage and all of the times before that, um, I didn't, I was kind of, I think, seeing it through Western eyes, seeing it as like an application for how I relate to people that aren't like me on a personal level. But I, as I <clears throat> continue to read it, um, and brought in some of the lens of kind of the cultural conversations that the elders are having, um, I began to see that he's actually talking to people groups. Um, and hopefully that was obvious to you, and you're smarter than me. But, um, but a lot of times, I think, in Western culture, we see things through this, like, we take them individually and we apply them individually, and I think we miss that there are sometimes bigger groups of people involved. Um, so he breaks, Paul breaks these groups down into Gentiles and Jews, um, Gentiles would not have thought of themselves as Gentiles because it essentially means non-Jews. They would have thought of themselves as Romans or Greeks or Ephesians. Um, but the reason he uses that language is because he wants to show them where they were in relation to Christ. And not just Christ, but in relation to God's people. Um, and so the words he uses in that passage... Um, you go back to the verse for just a second. Um, so separated from Christ, alienated, strangers, having no hope, without God in the world. That was where Gentiles were. Um, the Jews are mentioned in passing here. They're called by what is called the circumcision. Um, and Paul doesn't let the Jews off the hook either. He refers to circumcision as made in flesh by human hands or by hands. Um, which is easy to read over, but as a, as a Jewish person, like the law was given to you by God. You didn't think of circumcision as something that you did, that you made up. Um, but it was a form of worship to God that was given by God. Um, over time, that the law, um, which was meant to set the Jews apart from other people, became kind of a, an insulatory um, it had an insulatory effect on them. It didn't, they were supposed to be able to let people in to be a light to the nations and draw the nations to them, but the law ended up being an obstacle for those people to get in and was a wall, as Paul talks about later, to, um, that, the Jews put in, that the Jews helped prop up against people coming in and changing their culture. Um, so that's the Gentiles and the Jews. Um, What's a little more uncomfortable is trying to apply this passage to the American church. And honestly, I'm probably not the right person to talk about this. Um, because I am white and I'm a man. Um, and 
The reason is because our country was founded by people that looked like me um, and people you know, who had the same language. Um, and they brought in with their Christianity a, a racial prejudice, a prejudice based on skin color. Um, and that was not true of everybody. I agree. Um, but it was true of many, and it shaped a lot of the laws that we formed in our country. And even as Christian um, founding fathers were writing beautiful words like all men are created equal, they're also saying, well, except for black people who are only three-fifths people. Um, so, so there's a struggle here, and I hope that in spite of that, you can hear me out. Um, the, um, yeah, so that was kind of where the American church started. Um, it kind of progressed to that it, as slaves were brought in from Africa, and Alvin has done a great job um, talking about this in the last month with like, the black history highlights, but as slaves were brought in, initially they were not exposed to Christianity because Christianity does have... A, you know, we are all equal in Christ. Um, we are all made in the image of God. Um, and so they weren't exposed to that. When they eventually were exposed, it was to only pieces of the Bible, only the pieces that talked. I mean, they would probably use the passage later in Ephesians about masters and bondservants to justify, um, you know, why some people were, you know, bondservants, which meant an entirely different thing in Bible times than it did in America. Um, So, um, so they were eventually exposed, and um, in a you know in a miraculous way, they kind of were able to separate out. As I'm going to mess up the quote because I don't have my notes, but Frederick Douglass talks about kind of this pure and peaceable Christianity of Christ compared to you know women whipping, raping, you know slaveholding American Christianity. So slaves were able to to make that distinction in their mind. And as, you know, some of them became free before the Civil War, they began to develop, you know, theology um, apart from the white church because the white church essentially kicked them out. Um, they wouldn't, even within abolitionist-minded churches, there was still separation. They were still moved to, you know, the, you know, the upper levels, the peanut gallery. Um, and so this... Uh, so the black and white church is more or less separated um, because of the ongoing racial prejudice within the white church. Um, and the black church flourished. It developed foreign missions. It um, developed great um, kind of community development, what we think of as community development organizations within churches, parachurch organizations um, that did great things for African-Americans. Um, and as, as slavery um, was ended in Reconstruction, the Reconstruction period where um, blacks had the protection of the U.S. government allowed for, uh, allowed for this flourishing. But that Reconstruction, um, Reconstruction period ended um, based on... Um, you know, various politics, you know, the president trying to make deals with different senators, and um, 
and with that came in the rise of like the Ku Klux Klan, um, which, although we recognize it as clearly something other than Christianity, a lot of the Ku Klux Klan, you know, were you know were claiming Christ and were preaching that kind of racism from the pulpit. Um, and that has been true throughout American history, that racism has been preached from the pulpit. Um, and at various points, white Americans would um, cross lines and try to provide help where they could. Um, but as the rise of like KKK and essentially terrorism in the South um, happened, like those voices became more and more silent to the point where, you know, when Martin Luther King and was sitting in the Birmingham jail, he penned a letter because the white brothers and sisters were not um, lending their voice um, and lending their support to the struggle. Um, and I think that, yeah, today I don't think that, There's, there's still a rift. Um, uh, I think as a white American, I would like to say, can't we all just move on? Like, that happened in the past. I wasn't there, so can't we just move on? But that's not okay. Um. So many, well, some of you probably know I'm a doctor. Um, and one of the things that I found surprising um, early on in my training was when a patient came back to his room after a surgery and he had a, he had a big abdominal surgery and the wound wasn't closed. Like, it wasn't closed all the way. And I was, you know, I was, you know my initial reaction was like, wow, that's a big mistake. How did they, how did they forget to do that? Um, but it's actually not uncommon for wounds to be left open or even reopened if there's, you know, if the surgeon has to go back and do something, if there's something left, um, if there's a, a, a high risk for infection or other things, um, or if there is an infection and they had closed it, they'll open it back up and they'll leave it open and it'll be allowed to close by something called secondary intention. Um, and I, I think our situation in, in America is kind of like that. Like we have this wound, and until we, and in the, and honestly in the church, that's more of what I care about right now. Um, until we, until we deal with it properly and let it heal from the inside out, it's not going to heal. Um, and so, so I don't, I don't want to move on. Um, but. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. And, um, but that's, that's kind of just talking in terms of black and white. Um, Asian Americans experienced a very 
similar um, prejudice from the white church as African Americans did. Um, Asian Americans came in large groups first around the gold rush in um, California. And obviously, the proximity to California and the West Coast is, you know, allowed them to come to that coast um, more. Um, where slavery wasn't a, a big issue, but slave-like labor was. Um, so, I mean, they, so Filipinos, Japanese, Chinese were all used in very similar plantation-like conditions on Hawaii, and when they came to... When they came to the U.S., they were similarly used in slave-like conditions to build um, the Transcontinental Railroad and to work in... Um, <laughs> Alicia, <laughs> you got me going again. Uh, um, in, in the mining camps in the West. Um, and the only reason... Um, from what I've read, that this didn't eventually progress into full-blown slavery was just the timing. Like, they came in, in large groups to the U.S. right around the time that the, the Civil War was about to start. And so, so northern senators who were looking to press their advantage against the South, even pre-Civil War, made, made laws against um, enslaving um, Asians. Um, So that's kind of, you know, that's, that's our history. And that's, I think, things that we need to deal with. We need to sit in it. Um, one of the speakers at the last CCDA meeting, a guy named Soon Chan Ra, um, who's written several books on this kind of stuff, and I would highly recommend reading him, um, he talks about this idea of lament and of prophetic lament and of being willing, like Jeremiah, to kind of sit and look back at the ruins and um, and just lament what what um, in my case, my people have done and how they've forsaken God and <clears throat> God's path. Um, can we go to the next part? But there's hope. Um, in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the laws of commandment, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ 
as we saw in the first part of chapter 2, died that we could be restored to him as individuals. Um, Salvation happens on an individual level. But God also died to redeem the course of people groups. Um, And I don't think it was... I don't think it's just Jews and Gentiles. I think it's people groups um, such as we have represented in our church. Um, And we, um, by dying, he allowed, he broke down some walls. And the walls in particular that Paul is talking about here is the the law of commandments. And Paul isn't saying that he abolished scripture. He is referring to kind of the ceremonial laws, the sacrifices, the washings, the um, different things that um, were, you know, were associated with um, the Jewish expression of the faith. Um, And we see this, this kind of practically played out in, oh, where is it? Um, in Acts 15, I think it's 15. Yeah, so in 15, there's a council in Jerusalem where Paul and Barnabas come back to report on their missionary journey, and their missionary journey was among Gentiles, um, and the Jewish church was still pretty much entirely Jewish, and so they're addressing the issue of what do the Gentiles have to do um, to be Christians? Um, do they have to convert to all of Christianity or not to all of Judaism? Or, do they, or is there a different, uh, an essential part of this faith that they can keep um, while not, not doing that? The moral law um, is what theologians would call it. Um, so at the end of the, uh, let's see. So this is the letter that came out of that council, and it's written to Gentile believers, and they're gonna they're gonna pass it along with Paul and Barnabas, and also Judas and Silas. Um, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. They're referring to these Judaizers who would kind of follow Paul around um, from one town to another and um, basically say, yeah, everything Paul's saying is good, but you still got to be Jewish. And so let's, let's help you be Jewish. Um, we'll get you circumcised. We'll, we'll, we'll get you set up. Um, so the Jerusalem Council is saying, no, those people did not come from us. Um, It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them with you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. So they're sending Judas and Silas to basically say, Paul and Barnabas aren't lying. You know, they're telling, they're telling the truth. They have the backing of the Jerusalem Council in this. You don't, you don't need to take on these ceremonial laws. Um, 
For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Um, so that's kind of how it worked itself out in history. Um, but it wasn't always that easy. Um, even after, I think it's after this council, um, when Peter comes to Antioch and kind of visits the Antioch church, you know, he won't initially sit down with Gentile believers. Um, and Paul calls him out, and that's, you know, recorded in Galatians. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I, I highlight that to say it's a process. It's not like, it's, yeah. You know, these kind of cultural things are so ingrained in us that we don't even know they're there. Um, and some of, them are, some of them are also just our personalities um, mixed in with culture. It can be hard to separate out. Um, yeah, we can, maybe you can go bring up the, yeah. So the piece Paul's talking about here is in, initially with God, um, one of the, I think the great word pictures the Bible gives us is when Jesus died, like the, ken, the curtain that kept the most holy place from the holy place, and the most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence, where God said his presence would be. Um, he would sit above the Ark of the Covenant. Um, that curtain was huge, and it was just torn in two spontaneously um, by God's hand um, when Jesus died as a a reminder to the people that, that the separation between God and man was broken, um, that there was a way back. Um, and, but he also died to, to bring peace with other Christians. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll continue to talk about that one in a little bit. But um, I do want to just as a aside, but not with the world. Um, I think a lot of times when we go out and we are, you know, evangelizing, we're loving our neighbors, we're doing nice things for them, um, we, ex- you know, expect nice things back. Um, we expect nice words back. And that is not what we've been promised. Sometimes that will happen. Um, but Jesus made it clear to his followers that, um, that we would be persecuted. That, you know, because we are not of the world, um, that the, the world would hate us as much as it hated him. Um, and so we can expect much the same as we become more and more bold with our faith. Um, yeah. I, I put that in there because I've had, a, you know, friends and family members who run up against those obstacles <clears throat> and are surprised. Peter talks about in one of his letters, you know, don't be surprised when struggles come as if they were something strange, like you were told they were coming. Um, and as we, you know, as we work through cultural issues here, don't be surprised that there's a struggle. Um, don't be surprised that it's hard. Um, yeah, we, <clears throat> we can go to the next passage. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in the holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, you can go to the next slide, James. Um, so kind of breaking down that passage into three parts. The first part being remember. Remember where you've come from. Um, the second part being, but God intervened and, and broke down the walls that separate you. And now, through the Spirit, we're being built back up into a body. Um, and unity requires proximity. Um, that's one of the things that has been a core value at Mac for a while. Um, people, yeah, people tend to separate out into into kind of natural affinity groups, and because of various discriminatory um, real estate policies and moves in the past by governments, that has only been exacerbated into you know you have very affluent white, um, white suburbs. Um, Detroit is a great example of this because at least um, if you the Free Press put out a map a few years ago that shows like racial demographics in the city. And if you just look at 8 Mile, like I think red was white people and blue was black people. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a red blue line right there. Um, and I mean, you have the, historically had the same thing in Indian Village. Um, I have neighbors who can tell stories about being chased out of Indian Village by police. Um, even though there's no walls, there, there were walls. Um, and Alter Road is another great example. Um, to over, overcome, or to really begin to understand each other, you have to be with each other. Um, and being physically with, e with each other helps a lot. Um, but it also, I think, is a proximity of ideas. Um, and you know, I've... Um, I've got family members who live in all-white communities, or virtually all-white communities, um, and aren't, you know, they they don't have the kind of proximity that I get to enjoy here with um, people who don't look like me or talk like me. Um, but there, you know, there's an abundance of great books written by African Americans and Asian Americans and podcasts um, and churches that, you know, that can, that can provide, you know, a proximity of ideas. You can sit under the teaching of um, a minority that you might not be otherwise exposed to. Um, it requires work. Um, and, yeah, I was kind of talking about this earlier with Peter, but, yeah, this is not an easy process. There's hundreds and hundreds of years of history, um, thousands, really, um, of kind of ideas that are just ingrained in people and in cultures that you know we often don't deal with directly, um, and it's you know it's gonna it's gonna take time for that healing to happen. Um, 
we should not be surprised that it's hard. Um, sorry. I would, the one thing I would love about my notes is quotes. Um, the Martin Luther King Jr. has a, a great, he delivered a sermon, I think in 1961, to a group of people, um, to a seminary, and just talked about the need for Christians to be involved in this work. Um, you know, just as the pulpit was used and misused in the past, um, it has a very powerful voice moving forward that we need to recover, a prophetic voice in our community. Um, and it, and part of that work, I think, is in a diverse body and diverse church. Like, everyone's, everyone should be a little comfortable, or a little uncomfortable at least some of the time. Um, so... If, if there's one group that's always comfortable, then that's a problem um, because we're never asking them to give up anything for the, for the sake of the other groups. Um, and so if, yeah, if, if worship isn't always what you want it to be or if the sermon isn't always what you want it to be um, or, you know, the colors we put on the walls or whatever, um, just, just remember that... that we are, we are going to have to make sacrifices to be in real community. Yep. Real community with each other. Um, second part, what unity is not. It's not optional. Christ died for this. Um, yeah. And yeah, we need to, we need to hear that. Because a lot of times, whether, um, whether we're white and fed up of hearing about all the past wrongs and ongoing wrongs, um, or whether we are um, African-American or Asian-American and, and tired of people not responding to the wrongs, um, we all need to stay at the same table. Um, because again, Christ died for this. And before, before he died, his last prayer was about this. Um, he prayed that that the people, not only his disciples, but the people that would become believers after them because of them would be one. And the reason he, he said that, um, so that, so that the world will know that I sent them. Um, so our witness is not complete without unity. Um, we can't, we can't bear Christ's image to others. Um, and one of the, one of the reasons we can't do that is because you know, we're, we're finite creatures. Um, Julie, the book series that she was talking about, um, talks about ways we can image God. Um, there's ways we can image God as individuals, but there's also nuances to our culture that image God. Um, and the passage in Genesis that talks about um, filling the earth and subduing it, um, many people call that the cultural mandate. Um, this idea that as people multiplied and spread that, and they developed the things that go along with having more people in one place, you know, family norms, governments, educational systems, and those would not all be the same. They would spread out. They would be influenced by people's personality and location and, um, and resources. And those, as cultures developed and began to diversify, um, that that too would be a way of um, bearing God's image. Um, and 
you know, just as the individual's imagery kind of is built together in a body, and in this path, like later in, um, I think it's in Ephesians, but also in like Corinthians, it talks about, you know, the the individuals being built up together through their giftings for a complete body. Um, but also cultures have that. Um, and I'm going to steal one quote because it's so good. Um, there's a guy who wrote a book called The Miseducation of the Negro. His name is Carter G. Woodson. Um, and he um, says this. The differentness of races, moreover, is no evidence of superiority or of inferiority. This merely indicates that each race has certain gifts which the others do not possess. It is by the development of these gifts that every race might justify its right to exist. Um, and that's written from you know, a, a humanistic perspective, but um, I think it bears, bears out with this idea that God created us in his image. Um, and together, um, you can kind of choose your imagery, whether a, um, a body or a building. Paul uses three or four in this passage. But, um, but yeah, we're all integral pieces in this building. <clears throat> and unity is not assimilation. Um, and I think this is one of the things that the church has gotten, the white church has gotten really wrong, and America has gotten really wrong. Um, there, um, yeah, there is a, Woodrow Wilson has a, um, a great, sorry, I'm going to just go for it. Can't do it. So Woodrow Wilson had this to say to incoming immigrants. Um, you cannot dedicate yourself to America unless you become in every respect and with every purpose of your will thorough Americans. You cannot become thorough Americans if you think of yourself in groups. America does not consist of groups. A man who thinks of himself as belonging to a particular national group in America has not yet become an American. Um, the problem is that to... Uh, the problem is that that thinking became very much a part of the church. Um, and one of the, the clearest examples of that is Christian boarding schools that were set up for Native Americans um, with the intent of basically removing them from their culture and providing them with a white culture, um, which is tragic. Because when you do that, um, you not only commit the same sin that Judaizers were, but you, you don't give that people group the chance to image God fully. Um, so I, as we wrestle with unity in our church, we need to allow room for people to identify in multiple ways. Um, just as I'm a father and a husband and a doctor and I like riding tractors and cutting trees down, and I value, you know, <laughs> didn't get those ones. Um, but those are, all, those are all parts of me, and they didn't go away when I became a Christian. They became redeemed. Um, and similarly, you, we all come with our own mix of personality and culture, and those are going to sometimes work really well together and sometimes not. Um, but we need to provide room for people to identify. 
with both Christ and with their their race or their ethnicity or their culture. Um, can we go to the next slide? Um, so in terms of kind of general application points, um, and I, as I said, there's going to be a lot more later in um, Ephesians, but abiding in Christ. Um, I think we, whenever we start something as Christians, we need to start there. Um, <clears throat> as Jesus reminds us in John 15, you know, he's the vine, we're the branches. We can't, if we're in him, if we abide in him, we can bear much fruit, but apart from him, we can't do anything. Um, there's a West African word called, uh, I'll probably mispronounce it, but Sankofa, um, which means looking backward to move forward. And I think that's kind of what this general passage is about. It's about remembering, remembering where we've come from so that we can deal with a lot of the wounds that are still open. Um, make diversity uh, proximate. Um, I talked a little bit about this, both physically and um, ideologically. Um, you know, seeking out voices to speak into our lives that are different from our own. Um, and I think one of the hardest things to do as we do that is, um, well, one of, the, one of the things that allows for it, but I don't think it's easy for us to do, is celebrate other people groups um, and celebrate what they bring to the table. Um, and I think this will be really hard for well, I imagine this might be hard for people to do of white Christianity um, because of how much it has, you know, hurt other minorities in the U.S. Um, and I think oftentimes that generates so much anger um, that, yeah, that makes people want to shut down, like, anything that, you know, I was talking with Alvin yesterday, um, and I, ideas like pro-life are kind of, are white ideas, you know, in, in certain communities. And, you know, if you, if, if you talk about them even as a black person, you get lumped into this whiteness and you kind of get shut out from your people group. Um, and I, yeah, I think there, there needs to be, um, on all sides, there needs to be just kind of a willingness to recognize that there's good and there's bad in our, in our cultures. And we got to do the hard work of separating those out. Um, and one thing that I think would be fun to do under this um, is one of the things that comes up as, as you're reading about different cultures and even speaking um, through email with a lot of you is just the importance of food in cultures. Um, and I think it would be fun to have a, you know, Maybe a, a one-time bring back of the Sunday brunch where we, you know, have, a, have different people groups kind of represent their people. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's a, that's a small way, but I think there's a lot of people's cultural identity that's tied into food, and I think it's important to be able to offer that to one another, even if it is not food you're used to. Um, and then last of all, persevere. Um, yeah, do not, Paul says to the Galatians, do not grow weary of doing good. Um, 
And, you know, as I referenced earlier, Paul saying to the Corinthians, you know, this light and momentary suffering or hardship that you go through as you work through unity and diversity issues um, is worth it. Um, it's worth it now, and it's worth it in in heaven. Um, there's a, yeah, just want to read one other kind of passage to you as a reminder of where we are headed and why this why this stuff is important. This is coming from Isaiah 2. It's talking to um, So the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That is where we are headed. Um, there's a similar passage in Revelations um, 7 that talks about people from every tribe and tongue um, praising God. And I'm excited to see that day, but I'm also excited that God has orchestrated this body um, and its diversity. We're small but surprisingly diverse, especially cons- considering the city that we're in. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's an accident. I think, it, you know, we, we've made a lot of mistakes along the way. I know I have. Um, maybe you have too. But, um, but we are here, and we're still learning. And I think that's, those lessons are lessons that we can share with one another, but also with our family and friends and, um, and churches in general. Um, because, yeah, because... M- more churches, I think, need to look like this. Um, so, let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, you, you are good, Lord, and you. We praise you that you are bigger than our problems. Um, even really, really big problems. Lord, and yeah, you've made a way through just, yeah, the stupidity and harm of your people. Um, we pray for your spirit, Lord, to be here, to to be in our lives, Lord, to be in this church, to be in our neighborhood, Lord, working out, um, yeah, working out that reality in the here and now. Lord, we are excited to worship you in heaven, Lord, but we want to want to give a world, the world a taste of that right now.
Amen.